Ty, what just happened? What would it, from your perspective, the rear rider's perspective, what just happened? From my point of view, we had just crested a hill about a kilometer, maybe two kilometers back, and we were enjoying some high speed descending. Uh, when Tommy, I think the way I saw it, he was uh, taking in the view, the beautiful cacti around us. He had his eyes not exactly on the road, maybe, and he came upon one of the many pothole sections that we've been uh, circumnavigating throughout uh, our trip on Highway 1. And uh, he tried to save it with some quick, agile maneuvering and lost his balance, went off the road, probably like a eight to 10 inch drop off the uh, tarmac of the road, hit a bush, somehow both feet ejected from his clips and the bike scorpioned underneath him. He flew through the air and landed in like a tiger crouch in front of the bike, skidding to a stop. And the uh, <laughs> first thing he said was, uh, I think my I think my front wheel came unseated. <laughs> and uh, I, in my head I was thinking, well no shit your front wheel came unseated. There was like this enormous pop, bang, smash. I mean, it was a full on crash, not like a wipeout or a tumble, like a crash. And uh, we did a pretty good job getting everything put back together until we found kind of an unfixable crack in Tommy's rear rim. Yeah, my carbon, my carbon rim has cracked um, at one of the spoke nipples. So, um, seeing as we are in the middle of the desert, we are going to try and hitchhike our way to, ideally, Guerrero Negro, um, get on some Wi-Fi, figure out what the hell we're going to do, and, uh, I don't know, get this fixed. We're going to get creative. Yeah, we're going to get creative. Um, but I'm okay, and that is rad, yeah, because is. that was, I'd say, gnarliest crash of the trip so far. It's, not, it's like not even in the same ballpark. I don't think we've really had a crash. Like, we've had a couple of tumbles when we failed to eject just while coming to a stop. Yeah, it's, and some kind of just leaning, lean fallovers. Yeah, just like tip-overs. Yeah. But this was a crash. Yeah. Best case scenario for physical, the physical side of the crash. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Um, Tom, do you have anything you want to say to Betsy, who challenged you after the Shit. whole ordeal with the broken rack? She, she yeah. put a challenge yeah. to you directly and said, mom, I dare you to go one week without breaking yeah. anything on your bike. Yeah, mom called us out, and uh, we didn't even la I didn't even last three days, so... <laughs> um, I'm, mom, I'm, I'm really sorry. I don't... I, uh, I know people are going to hear about this, and you aren't going to be proud. Um... I'm sorry. I love you. Uh, I've, oh man, I'm just a, just a, again disappointing son. <laughs> but, all right, well, well, we're gonna go stick our thumbs out and try and get a ride. Hasta luego. Arturo Marán. Ah.
Arturo, ¿de dónde? Estamos aquí de Saicedo. Yeah, it's all staticky still. I don't know what it is. Oh, dude, you got it. Hold it right there. It is Sunday, July 23rd, and we are recording from Mulehe, Baja California Sur, Mexico. Yeah, pretty exciting to be here finally in the southern half of Baja. That was a big moment for us, crossing that threshold. It was uh, not only the first state line that we've crossed in a foreign country, but it was some indication that we are, in fact, making progress because with all the mechanical mishaps that have been going on, it has a lot of times felt like we're not making any progress because we haven't been. Um, so that felt really good, getting into this new section of the, of the peninsula. And it also got us thinking about where we are in the grand scheme of things because the state line between Baja North and Baja South is marked by the 28th parallel, the 28th degree of latitude. So then that got us thinking, um, where exactly is our finish line going to be in terms of latitude? So we're looking at the maps. We find out that it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of the negative 53rd degree of latitude, the southern uh, 53rd parallel. So that leaves us with a cumulative total of 81 degrees of latitude still to traverse. And each degree of latitude is equal to about 69 miles. We had to Google that. We didn't come up with it off the top of our heads. So it puts us somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,500 miles to go. That is if we were going due south without a single turn, zig, or zag, or any variation off the due south route. Um, but hey, 5,500 doesn't seem too bad. We've already yeah. gone close to 3,000. Just add another 10,000 miles on that, and we're pretty much there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it has felt pretty sweet to cross into a defined new area. That was helpful with the old morale. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but we uh, the cool thing about Baja is that you get to ride on the Pacific Ocean, and then we cross over the breadth of Baja, and there's the Sea of Cortez, or the Gulf of California. And uh, we were able to jump in that a couple days ago for the first time, which was cool. I mean, it was... Yeah, imagine, like, taking a lukewarm, salty bath with the bathtub covered uh, in a bed of seashells. (laughs) Yeah, and that is the Gulf of California. That's what you got. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that, that was cool. Again... Just kind of another symbolic type uh, achievement is Mm -hmm. getting to the Gulf of California, the Sea of Cortez, and jumping in. But, uh, yeah, I guess before the Sea of Cortez, we did have another pretty big incident, Um, one of the bigger incidents of the trip. Uh, We had a bit of a crash. By we, I mean just me. Um, And it was gnarly. Uh, Yeah, we... We were able to record a little clip in the beginning of the episode that we spliced in, but uh, I it, it was pretty freaky, um, and we got incredibly lucky that uh, just the bike was damaged, and um, things worked out. You know, in in the in the grand scheme of things, they worked out as best as they could. Uh, we after about three hours of trying to hitchhike in the. 90 degree desert sun 
with little to no water, we uh, were able to flag down uh, this super nice guy in his truck, El Jefe, and he pointed to a trailer that he had hitched up to his truck for us to hop in with the bikes, and sure enough, we load everything in, and uh, it was an old horse trailer, and uh, it was... It had been converted to a lawnmower trailer, and was yeah. covered in an interesting mix of horse hair, horse crap, and like as- motor grease. A- yeah, it looked like they had some asphalt equipment back yeah. there. And, uh, yeah, so we're just roaring down uh, Highway 1, Baja, and probably being around potholes, yeah, yeah. this whole trailer is just rattling along like it's not even fully hitched up to the truck. Yeah, and probably, I don't know, we had 60 or 70 kilometers to go to Punta Prieta, the town we were going to ride to that night, <laughs> probably 25 kilometers in, I kind of jab Ty and I point, I point behind us and Ty kind of sheepishly just kind of looks around and is like smiling a little bit. I thought Tom had just, uh, you know, he had, his mood had uh, returned since the whole crash and he was admiring the beautiful scenery of this Valle de los Sirios that we were driving <laughs> through and I was like, yeah, Tom, you're right, it is beautiful. Way to go, bud. Yeah, I'm he, glad you're feeling good. Yeah, this is all, you know, body lay. We can't hear anything because oh, yeah. we're whizzing down the highway at 80 miles an hour and I'm like, are you sick in the head? And I elbow him again and I kind of aggressively point behind us this time and Ty looks back and the rear hatch to the horse trailer had come loose and so the well, entire... I, I don't think it had ever been locked or yeah, the first place. It had, it had completely swung open and uh, it just added to the fact that Ty and I were holding on to the, the crossbars of this horse trailer with dear life and then about every five minutes I'd have to kind of James Bond my way back to this door and with one hand on one of these crossbars, the other hand on this sliding door, try and jam it shut as, you know, we're hitting these potholes and it's like, oh it my was, god. It was very high octane. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it, yeah, it really it, got uh, the blood pumping. Yeah. I mean, the whole day was just action from start to finish. Oh, for sure. But, uh, and then when we got to our destination, uh, El Jefe gets out of the truck to come let us out, and so nonchalantly, <laughs> the goes to open the door, sees that it's already open, and says, oh, you know, forgot to lock it, it looks like. <laughs> well, here, you guys just come out this half now, so I don't have to open the other half. Oh, God. Yeah, but, uh, so yeah, showed up with a broken bike, and luckily, um, figured out the bus schedule, um, give or take, um, they said that... There was a 6 a.m. bus coming the next day, so Ty and I wake up at about quarter to five, and mm-hmm. I go out to Main Street to... Well, we had a nice breakfast in a restaurant, and uh, it's getting down to the wire. We're just wolfing our food down, and Tom, finally Tom goes, hey, man, can you pay for this? I gotta go catch that bus. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure, man, just go. Go, do your thing. And so I, I enjoy the, the last scraps of breakfast... You know, slowly and thoughtfully, and I drink both my cup of coffee and Tom's cup of coffee, and I head back out to the road, and I'm thinking, yo, I should probably go check and make sure Tom catches his bus. And he didn't. The bus never came, and I think it was 11.30 yeah, in the morning the, when the, it finally yeah, showed the up. The 6 a.m. bus turned into the old 11.45 <laughs> Express. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I hop on the bus, and I jet up... Uh, five hours north back to Vicente Guerrero and um, 
Luckily, I had gotten a hold of Salvador at Fast Bike, and he said that he had a wheel that he was going to be able to install. So that day, uh, I was able to take my bike to Fast and get the wheel installed. Spent the night in Vicente. Next morning, um, I was told that there was a 5 a.m. bus heading south, so I showed up to the bus station at 5 a.m., and uh, the old 5 a.m. <laughs> 5 a.m. morning... Uh, Commuter turned into a 1.30 uh, afternoon slogger. <laughs> and uh, for whatever reason, what was once a five-hour bus ride turned into about a seven-and-a-half-hour bus ride back south. But, uh, yeah, then I met up with Ty um, that night in Guerrero Negro. And uh, we woke up the next morning and hit the road. And, um, you know, we've been crushing miles ever since. No problems. Um, no mechanical issues, just Tom, us in the open road. It's I been great. Stop you right there. I don't know if it was the crash or the tedious hours on the bus ride, but I think you have a mild case of amnesia because, as I recall, it was not so smooth. And I would like to roll back the tapes and just confirm what really happened, shall we? So I arrived to. Guerrero Negro last night after bussing 150 miles north to replace my entire rear rim and then I bussed back south met up with Ty and we geared up to head out this morning um about seven minutes yeah seven minutes into the ride um I heard a pop snappy pop and uh Sure enough, one of the spokes on my rear wheel snapped. Um, neither of us has ever replaced a rear spoke, um, but we or a front spoke, yeah, or a front spoke or any spoke. Um, but we called uh, a contact we know, and he gave us the contact of a guy named Antonio, who is the president of the cycling club in this town. And I just called Antonio, and he is hopping on his motorcycle and said he'll be where we're at in five minutes. Um, this sucks. Um, yeah, this totally sucks. So, hopefully Antonio will be able to replace my spoke, and we can cruise. Because that would be awesome to ride our bikes on this trip. Um... Yeah. Just as I suspected, there was that tiny other mishap that took place after the crash, after the busing to resolve the crash. And for those of you who don't know Tommy super well, I don't think you need to know his personality or his little quirks to hear in his voice just how frustrated he was at that point. And rightfully so. Um, the kid has had some terrible luck since we started this trip. At least, and especially uh, relative to uh, me. I feel like I have just been the golden goose on this trip with, you know, so little uh, problems to complain about. And I'm very happy that that's the case, i got to be honest. But... Um, I do just really appreciate how Tom has been able to be so methodical and so practical um, at every wrong turn that has come to him on this trip. 
whether it was the tires in when we were back in the states, both tires kind of crapped out on him, and then the crash that you know was a serious threat to his well-being, and then the bus rides that came as a result of that, and then this broken spoke that happened immediately following that horrible crash. Um, he has just always been uh, very quick to finding the solution without any kind of, oh, woe is me, you know, what bad luck am I having, this is no fun. It's just like, all right, this is the deal. This is what happened. This is what we need to do to fix it. Uh, we can't do this, so we need to find somebody to help us with that. And it's just been really inspiring. Like, a lot of times I don't know what to do when all this horrible stuff is happening to my companion and he is just already on the plan to resolve it and so it's been uh, very inspiring and helpful to have him as the example of what to do when shit hits the fan well I'm glad I've been able to provide you with so many examples <laughs> hopefully hopefully that isn't the case any longer but thank you no that's very nice of you to say and uh, yeah I'm, I'm glad that we haven't really freaked out and, because, uh, yeah, I think the problems really kind of hit this exponential curve once we crossed into Mexico. <laughs> and I think, you know, the areas along the border aren't really prime places to freak out and no, go into full spazzy gringo yeah. mode. And when we have no network for support, or at least, you know, at first we felt like we were isolated without any network of support. But then, you know, like we've been saying all along, we're meeting these amazingly generous people, and the Broken Spoke fiasco was possibly the best example of that so far. Tom, would you <laughs> yeah. would you say? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, right after, right after the spoke broke, uh, we quickly realized that we did not have the tools or the skills to replace the spoke, and uh, we called our buddy Salvador with Fast Bike and just kind of pleaded, like, is there anyone you know help us out and so he called his buddy Antonio and Antonio came pulls up to this uh, this hotel Ty and I are sitting in front of and kind of quickly asks like all right who's got whose problem is this all in Spanish and I'm like oh it's me he's like what what happened I was like oh well my tire my spoke and maybe within 30 seconds he kind of scoots up on the bike gives gives the old rear seat like a double pat and uh, motions for me to come over. And so I just, you know, within a minute, I'm on the back of his bike with my rear wheel in one hand and this extra spoke in my other. And we zoom off, leaving Ty in front of the hotel with all of our bikes, all of our... My bike at this part is, like, disassembled, bag strewn everywhere. And uh, Antonio and I are zipping over to his house on his, his little motorbike. And we pull up to his garage... And in his garage is like a full-on bike workshop. And uh, within 30 seconds, he's got, you know, pulls out the bike stand. He's got my wheel up there. And then he pauses and kind of looks at me. He's like, ¿Quieres una cerveza? I'm like, oh, por supuesto. <laughs> and uh, so he grabs a couple beers and we're working on the tire. And then, you know, he's whipping off my cassette, taking off my brake rotor, takes my tire off. And, um... You know, within two minutes, he has addressed the problem, and uh, sure enough, the extra spoke that we have didn't fit. It was probably three to four millimeters too small, and 
Uh, it may not seem like much, but um, when you're in the game of bicycle spokes, it uh, it just doesn't doesn't work at all. So I am like, oh dang, Antonio, this that's a bummer. I'm gonna probably have to go back up to Vicente Guerrero, get a new spoke. And um, he kind of stops for a minute, takes a big slug from his beer. He's like, hold on, I might have a friend. I might know someone. So we go back out to the scooter, and the two of us are cruising through town. And again, I'm in my bike, my spandex shorts, and my bright yellow jersey with my helmet on. And I'm towering over Antonio on the back of his bike. Yeah, he was like, what, 5'4"? Yeah. And... Uh, so then we pull up to this kind of renegade little bike workshop and pop in, and uh, the guy's like, hey, what's up? Why, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I got the spoke. I need a longer one. So he's go, he goes back and finds a wheel that may have the right size spoke, takes a couple spokes off, hands them to us. We go back to the scooter, back to Antonio's, put the spoke on. Sure enough, it fits. And then... Uh, we tape up my tire again, and we use um, we go to use Antonio's air compressor to reseed my tubeless tire, and his air compressor wasn't working. So what do we do? Back to the scooter. We're cruising through town. We go to a mechanic, use their air, air compressor. Back to the scooter. Back to Antonio's. He grabs a second beer for the both of us. <laughs> we're slugging brews. We're having a good time. And uh, then I notice in the corner of his garage a little trophy and I'm like oh Antonio like did you win some sort of race and he kind of stopped what he was doing he put down my my tire and his tools and he's like come with me come with me and we go into his house his wife is sitting at the kitchen table chopping up a big ass water balloon he's like oh yeah that's my esposa and (laughs) we walk past her (laughs) we go into uh kind of this uh front room and he has this whole wall full of trophies and photos of him winning all these races and it turns out that he's this total stud that he wins he's won um all of these races around Baja for um for cycling and is just a total badass and then brings me into a second room which is full of all of his medals from all of these races and uh I just start laughing. I'm like, oh, now it all makes sense. The tools, the bikes. I was like, you are a total stud. And we both are laughing. And then we go back outside and uh, we um, we finish up the tire. And uh, then we stop. We get back on the scooter. We stop back at that rogue bike shop to pick up a couple extra spokes and then go back to the hotel. He drops me off in front of Ty. And uh, sure enough, he won't accept any money. Um, nothing, and uh, I don't know, one of the, for me, one of the coolest parts was uh, I, you know, tried to offer some money, he wouldn't take it, and I was like, hey, Antonio, like, I, you know, I, I really, I have no words. I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, he's like, those are words. Um, that's enough. He's like, thank you, thank you is enough. And I don't know, it, it, was, it was just a cool, a cool lesson in, uh, just people helping people, and it, it's, it's been cool that that has been such a big part of this trip, especially as we have crossed into Mexico, where there's this whole new sense of vulnerability, and, you know, it feel, when, when we're looking for help, it feels just more desperate, in a way, than it did in the U.S., and people have been more willing to help, and they've gone above and beyond to a new degree uh, here, and it's, it's just been a cool lesson, and um, 
even cooler, I think, because of the reputation that preceded what was awaiting us in Mexico with, uh, you know, kind of the, the selected media stories that we were seeing when we were in the States, when we were researching the trip, uh, talking about the dangers and the cartels and the threats to travelers about being targeted and this and that. And so then those fears combined with fears of our family and, you know, some friends and who, anybody who had seen those stories uh, just kind of creeping into our heads that, yeah, maybe maybe this is dangerous. Maybe we are getting in over our heads. And um, it's just, it's reassuring that as long as you keep your wits about you and, you know, you're smart and you're willing to ask for help when you need it, people are good, just like Tom said. Yeah, and, you know, not to say that we, we're now, like, bounding through Mexico, happy-go-lucky, no yeah. problems. You know, we still definitely have our guard up and we're still very cautious and very careful and um, that's still a big part of the trip and will continue to, to be but uh, with that being said we've just become much more comfortable um, stress levels have been I'd say slowly decreasing um, with each day that goes by and uh, we're finding a rhythm uh, which is always nice it's, it's you know as as kind of crazy all over the place place sporadic as it is to be waking up in a new place every day um there's still kind of this underlying rhythm to the day in day out piece of it and um yeah I feel like we've been talking about finding a rhythm like since day one <laughs> that was we were saying like oh man can't wait till we just hit that rhythm yeah it's yeah. gonna be so easy once we yeah. find that rhythm yeah oh god and uh, it's been trickier to find, I think, than we thought. And even when we have supposedly found it, something comes along that totally shakes it up and puts us back to square one. Um, and it's got us thinking a lot about the new normal. And we've been thinking about it a lot in particular because Tommy's cousin Thomas asked us that very same question. Hey, Tommy and Ty. Hey, buddies. I uh, was listening to the podcast and talking to you guys on the phone, and I just had a quick question. Uh, kind of curious, as things are getting pretty weird out there, your lives are kind of transitioning into something totally strange to pretty much everyone that's listening. Um, what has become the new normal for you guys, uh, besides being spazzes, which has you know, always been normal? probably an absurd amount of talcum powder and unscheduled Patagonia interviews. What's the new normal, guys? Just really curious. Love you. Thomas, great question. We have been wondering what the new normal was going to look like for us since day one. So thank you so much uh, for asking us that, for putting us, uh, challenging us to a little self-reflection and just really thank you for listening and contributing to the podcast. Uh, we're missing you, and we hope you're doing well back there in Colorado. Um, the new normal is pretty tough to describe because, as you may have picked up if you've been following along, no two days are the same. So it's pretty hard to put your finger on what the new normal is. Um, but just to give a quick glimpse, I'm going to take you through my morning routine when we start the day here on the Spoken Tour. Alarm goes off, usually in the neighborhood of 5.30 to 6. Turn off the alarm. 
stare up at the tent. It's usually dark. Tom is not even stirring next to me. He's dead asleep, usually facing away, pretending like I don't exist, like the alarm never even happened, that like we're just going to sleep all day. That's his motives. And uh, so then turn the alarm off. I sit and stare up for a couple minutes, thinking about the day, what lies ahead, what struggles there are going to be. I pull the tab on my inflatable air pad. I feel the world deflate underneath me. All of my comforts, all of my safety nets are just rushing out from underneath me through this tiny little hole. And eventually I hit rock bottom. I'm lying flat on the hard, rocky ground, feeling the punctures and the pain and all of the terrible things in the world stabbing me in the back, telling me that you've got to get up and you've got to do this ride through the scorching heat. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck and you're not going to make any progress. So it's kind of a tough start to the day. I always find myself thinking about what lies ahead. And then we make breakfast, which is nice. You get a little fuel. You get a little uh, camaraderie once Tom starts to wake up and become human again. And uh, we start to talk about what we're going to do, what's the plan, if we need to find water, if we just hit the road and try and make as many miles as possible. And then for me, it starts to become... Uh, usually at that point, a good day. Because we're moving, we're making progress, uh, we're having fun, we're riding our bikes, which is one of the, the fundamental joys of the trip. And then usually everything's all right, barring any serious mishaps, which we have had our fair share of. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good uh, look into the new norm of starting the day for sure oh and no coffee that's been a big uh that's very abnormal for us but we are too lazy to get our stove out in the morning we don't want to use water for coffee we want to just have water for drinking on the bike and keeping us hydrated throughout the day really the last month and a half we haven't had the urge for any sort of hot beverage at all that's been like the last thing that we've wanted um, but yeah, for me, I think what has become the one of the biggest pieces of the new normal is like this complete uh, this complete like step back into just very primal thinking. Like uh, I'm hungry, I need to eat. I'm thirsty, I need to drink. I am hot, I need shade. Uh, and it's just, it's funny it could, because it is like the most basic rudimentary level of existence. But if you don't listen to that, um, you can totally screw yourself over. Uh, if you're not making sure that you are snacking every hour, you're not making sure that you're drinking enough water. You're not making sure that you, you stop and breathe. Um, you, it can totally bite you in the butt. Uh, especially when something like a crash happens or something like a broken spoke happens or whatever, bad weather. Uh, or just like showing up in a new town, totally dehydrated, yeah. totally heat exhausted, hungry, like, I don't know, not having a, a good state of mind to yeah. make good decisions. Yeah, that, that's when that's when you get burned. And um, we've, we've done a pretty good job at keeping that in check. And usually... We'll, we'll, it'll be kind of streaky, like, uh, you know, we'll be riding for half a day or a couple days, and we'll get into either, like, a really good rhythm, or we'll get into kind of a bad rhythm, and um, the nice part about the bad rhythm is that, again, being very primal instincts, they show themselves, and 
they show themselves through ways of being very crabby and being very just quiet and not ourselves. So it's it's very easy and apparent to be like, oh, okay, something's wrong. Uh, I think the biggest one was we got we were getting it. Usually, like this has happened to me a few times. We've gotten into a town, and I have been very hungry, or I've been, mo- yeah, most times just very hungry. And Ty will be like, all right, uh, let's figure out where we're gonna stay. Let's get some water. And I'll just be, like, totally catatonic, like, just staring off into the distance or, like, <laughs> staring at Ty, but really, like, staring through him. And uh, he's been doing this thing a lot where uh, we, we weigh our options, like, all right, we could do this or that, and I'll propose an idea. And then he'll just, he'll have that thousand-yard stare, and then he'll just repeat back to me what I said. And I'll do it so slowly that I can't tell if he's doing it because his brain is not functioning properly and he's processing it or because like what I said was just the dumbest thing ever and he's trying to <laughs> illustrate how stupid that my idea was and so then I start thinking like what is going on with him is he like Tom hello you there oh yeah but yeah that's definitely like uh in regards to what is now normal to me it's listening to those basic basic instincts and responding because not responding gets you in trouble. And yeah, it's just funny because when you're, you know, in when I was living in Denver and I'd be hungry or thirsty or tired or whatever, it's like, okay, whatever else, go slam a coffee and work for a couple more hours. Or, uh, okay, I'll catch up on sleep tomorrow. I'm going to go out and have some beers tonight. Doesn't matter. Um, but out here, when it's 100 degrees and you have 50 miles to ride, um, and you have five mountain passes to go over that day, you can't just write it off. Uh, which is, I don't know, it's just a, it's, it's just a interesting, kind of fun, weird, cool, goofy way to be in touch with a very basic human level of, uh, of what this trip is and uh, what our bodies need. Um, and, like, it's... Um, I've enjoyed, like, the... The positive feedback because like I was saying I kind of have like a almost a pessimistic view when I wake up in the morning like oh man today's gonna be really tough here are all the challenges and then like along with what you're saying if you just listen to your body and you just commit yourself to making slow and steady progress by the end of the day usually you've accomplished what you set out to do you've accomplished what at the beginning of the day seemed so hard so impossible and you get enough days like that, and you get into a good rhythm, and everything starts feeling good. Yeah. And one other thing that's become normal is just a striking amount of full frontal male nudity, um, unannounced at really any moment. Um, I'll kind of turn around, be um, maybe crouched over, and I'll turn around, and oh my god, there's Ty's pecker just uh, <laughs> hanging out. Or uh, he's bending over, pulling his shorts up, and I'm just getting a full view of the moon. Um, so, you know, it goes both ways, and it's just a, a, a funny reality of um, of the trip. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a peek into what has become the new normal, and I'm sure that will just continue to evolve and change. It'll maybe be constantly we'll, changing. Yeah, maybe we'll try and... Swing back to that one in six months and see uh, yeah. see what has then become the new normal. Although I'm sure at that point, one 
one constant in the new normal will be uh, us getting amazing help from people we meet along the way, which brings us back to... Kindness of Strangers. First off, we need to we need to start with an apology because we forgot to rightfully thank um, Victoria, who sent out a huge gesture of kindness when we were back in San Diego. She let us crash at her place in downtown San Diego, where we filled up on a delicious. Uh, pasta dinner in Little Italy, and it made the whole border crossing a lot smoother instead of going all the way from my dad's place in Carlsbad. Somehow, Victoria, we we had written it down and it slipped our minds when we were recording our last episode. We're sorry, and we are still very, very thankful for you letting us crash at your place. Big shout out to Irma in El Rosario for giving us a place to crash, having a great conversation with us, working on our Spanish with us, and preparing us two delicious meals. Uh, we kind of more or less invited ourselves to stay with her, and uh, as it turns out, uh, she, for the last three years, has been hosting nearly every cyclist that she sees roll through town at her house. So, Irma, muchas gracias. Um, we really appreciate it. After staying with Irma, we were treated to another generous night of free lodging at the back of Salvador's family restaurant in Catavina. Um, gorgeous open field, secluded from the highway. It was a really nice place to stay, and again, totally free of charge. Thank you, Salvador. That was a great, great gesture. Uh, Matt, um, another bike tour. He is on his way to Costa Rica. Uh, the day of our crash, he stopped. Um, as Ty and I were trying to hitch a ride and gave us some extra water, um, a huge gesture from a tiny man. So thank you, Matt. We really appreciate it. Um, the extra leader went a very long way. And then, of course, El Jefe de Punto Prieta, who picked us up from the side of the road, threw us in the back of his trailer that had really easy access with the open door. That was just super convenient. Um, but really, we would not have gotten a bus ride. We wouldn't have fixed all the broken pieces from the crash if it weren't for you picking us up on the side of the road. Gracias, El Jefe. And uh, Salvador with Fast Bike, thank you so much for helping me out with my broken wheel, for opening your shop on a Sunday, uh, and for, once again, completely, completely saving my butt. Um, and then, of course, for putting us in touch with Antonio. So, Antonio, thank you very much for being um, a savior uh, of my rear rear wheel. Um, it was awesome sharing a couple beers with you and countless scooter rides. So thanks a lot, Antonio. And then a big thank you to Chris, a fellow American expat who was just down surfing in Baja and stopped on the side of the road to give us a couple of ice cold waters. And we just had a really great conversation with him, even though it only lasted like four minutes. But he was just talking about uh, how enjoyable it is down here and how tranquilo it is and it's great just to lose yourself in Baja in the amazing scenery and he got us really excited um, to see all that's left in this beautiful peninsula. Thank you, Chris. And uh, Lindsay, big shout out to you for trying to connect us with your cool uncle um, down here in Baja. Um, we really appreciate it. 
Um, Mike and Rebecca, uh, thank you so much for the pizza and for the great conversation. Um, so uh, Mike and Rebecca, they are a, a couple that have been riding down Baja um, and they have been about two weeks ahead of Ty and I and they are putting up these amazing blog posts with really detailed route information, pictures, uh, places to avoid, places to go, um, and they are totally, totally badass. Um, they have a, a Facebook page, a website, an Instagram account, Zero to Cruising. Um, check them out, they have some really awesome stories and they are just top to bottom uh, badass. They are also cruising down to Patagonia. Um, they have they have a couple different rigs than Ty and I do. They are much more off-road friendly. Um, and the route that they have been um, cruising down is the Baja Divide. So definitely worth checking out. Zero to cruising. Um, and again, Mike and Rebecca, thank you for the pizza. And then just everybody else who's contributed to this goofy podcast that we're doing, whether you've sent in uh, audio clips or you've emailed us or you've dropped a pin on our map um, or just given us some form of encouragement, it really means the world to us. It keeps us motivated, keeps us inspired, keeps us excited to wake up every day. And we really, really hope that uh, we continue to get feedback from all you guys out there listening because it gets us uh, stoked to keep doing what we're doing. Oh, and then, speaking of keep doing what we're doing, we couldn't be doing it if we weren't hydrated with water. And there's been a couple stops along the way where the gentlemen working at the Purificaduras uh, have, you know, struck up a conversation with us about our bikes and what we're doing. And when we tell them, they are more than happy to give us all the water we need free of charge. Um, you guys have been... <laughs> Uh, literally like saviors in the desert with the free water. Um, hopefully there's more of that to come. Yeah, these little these little kind of water huts are located in towns all throughout Baja. And uh, yeah, just have been this glimmer of hope for, for us and all of our empty bottles of water. They're pretty funny little places. Um, and then uh, last but not least, uh, Jesse Dixon. Um, it was our first day riding after waiting for our parts for over a week. And about halfway through our day, we see another touring cyclist heading northbound as we're heading south. So we pull over to the side of the road, start talking with them. And uh, he was, in fact, coming from Patagonia. Uh, and uh, we were able to, to steal a little sound clip uh, from him. So um, we'll, uh, we'll end the episode with this. So here's Jesse. Um, so I'll probably have to hold it pretty close. Okay. So uh, we just ran into Jesse Dixon, um, a cyclist from Australia. He's been on the road for how long? Uh, it's almost two years now. October will be two years. And where'd you start? I started in Ushuaia, which is the southernmost point in South America. So for a couple of greenhorns who've only been on the road for two months, what's one piece of advice you have? Uh, don't don't plan too much. Like the, there's lots of really cool places. Doesn't really matter which way you go, you're gonna find some some beautiful places to sleep, camp, some friendly people. Killer. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey man, it was great meeting you. Yeah, you guys too. <laughs> friends around every curve telling stories 
pedaling on to the end of the world, making friends around every curve, telling stories, pedaling on.